Welcome to the Not Old Yet podcast, where we explore the subject of aging from a fresh new perspective. Each week, you will learn how to look, feel, and be youthful, no matter your age or stage of life. Tune in each episode to hear words of wisdom, stories of hope, and keeping it real advice from your host, Elizabeth Vanderveer. We got a beautiful story. Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Vanderveer, your host of the Not Old Yet podcast. Welcome. I'm here today with my good friend, Cindy Taylor and Brand Ambassador. Welcome, Cindy. Hi. Hi. You and I were doing a show the other day on fashion, which is your particular specialty, and we got talking about finances. And I thought that is a great topic to talk about. No matter your age or stage of life, finances are paramount. And we've talked about other types of health, emotional health, uh, physical health, how to care for yourself. But financial health is extremely important. And I heard one podcaster say about education that it's completely lacking in the school system. Kids come out without knowing anything, basically, about finances. And today, they don't know how to balance a checkbook. Everything's Venmo and PayPal and all these digital things. And actually cash is going away too. But that doesn't absolve us from having to have a nest egg and being prepared for the worst. So just as you have health insurance for the medical catastrophes, there's a need for financial health insurance, if you will. But at this point, it's self-guided. In years past, decades past, if you worked for a company, they would provide for you a pension and social security was much different. And now it's all self-directed. Your 401k is completely dependent upon you. This happened in the 80s that the change was made from corporate support of your retirement to now it's your retirement. You are completely in charge. And most people don't recognize not only the value of compound interest, if you start when you're you know, 18, 28, 38, how much better that is, even in very small denominations. But what else can you do? And what do you do when you have one of those devastating things happen to you and you're forced to face your financial future? So Cindy, you've had some great life lessons and things that you've persevered through. You've had great experiences. You know people that are teetering on the edge, living paycheck to paycheck. I love it when my elderly customers say to me, because I do a lot of things with older individuals in the community, and they'll come up to me and say, oh, I really want to buy that, but I'm on a fixed income. And I thought, well, first of all, what's the data? And the data actually shows that people age 65 and over are making about the same amount per week as the millennial which is pretty incredible. And for the most part, if you work for a paycheck for someone else, you are living on a fixed income. I don't know very many people that could just go to their employer and say, oh, well, let's increase that because I'd like to not be on a fixed income. You know, we all have to budget. So take it away, Cindy. Help us out, like kind of sorting through 
when you get to midlife and crap happens or you're not prepared or how can we be better prepared? We'd love to hear some of your practical advice. Well, some of this goes back to when my late husband passed and there was a note attached to the will that said contact so-and-so, which was his financial advisor. And uh, after a certain amount of time... Uh, did you know I, that um, person? I did not. I had never met them. No. He had spoken of, of her quite often and with a lot of accolades attached to the conversation regarding her and had worked with her regarding his finances for well over a decade. So um, she and I sat down and went over everything that he had set up originally. Now, the issue was that three weeks after he passed, there was the IT tech stock market drop. Mm -hmm. And so everybody lost a lot in the market at that time, and including what I was left. And I was left with less than a fourth. And uh, so three weeks after he passed, you lost three quarters of. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing that's so scary about like stocks and bonds and all that funny money, that paper, it kind of makes you want to have money in a mattress because that's just terrifying that in, and it happens, you know, there's always stock market corrections. So what did you do? We looked very closely at what he had invested in and how he had invested. And I travel a lot to very foreign places. And I had, within six months of his death, I had just come back from a, a lengthy amount of time in Asia, specifically China. And this was right before the Olympics. And they were working really hard on showing the Western world how progressive they have become. And in my line of work, it's important for me to pay attention to what's going on internationally in regards to their product and their growth. And so I had shared with this advisor that I would like to be a little more liberal in my investing and I wanted to go more international and I didn't want to sock most of the money in one area such as IT which is what so many people did at that time and that's why they lost their shirts. So we diversified and I, I stayed with a few things that he had purchased and sold off what was left and within a 10-year period of time I had taken that amount and I had, uh, let's see. You had like an 800% return, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things you were in your mid fifties then when you had to go through the loss yes. of your husband and yes. taking control of your finances and with all due respect, you were very blessed. Number one, he had a will, which is incredible. Most people that get in their fifties and beyond are pretty lax about that. And there's serious implications. And then you had a financial advisor to assist you. One of the mm -hmm. things that I've been seeing at an alarming pace is elderly people, people in their late 70s, 80s, getting into the stock market and even doing like day trading activities. Some of these are my friend's parents 
my friends' husbands or wives before diagnosis for a dementia-type disease where you frontal lobe gets unroofed and you do behaviors that are not typical for you. Mm-hmm. So the stock market, you were very blessed to have a guide, and it sounds like she was wonderful, and that's great. I always look in a guide for someone that's a certified financial analyst, not a planner, just sometimes they're a planner and an analyst. So a CFA has a fiduciary responsibility with your money to treat it as if it's your own. A certified financial planner, in my understanding, is there to offer you a product and often it's tied to a commission. The certified financial analyst doesn't get a commission they get paid on the investment. So that's one thing that I know you can look for, but I think it's really dangerous. And this would be a red flag if you have a loved one or a friend that's doing day trading or getting into the stock market kind of by themselves, especially at an advanced age. Very bad thing. I've seen several nest eggs and fortunes lost. So when he passed, what else did you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis financially? I think there's a lot of listeners that are in relationships that may not know what the hell do you do when someone passes suddenly? Where do you go? Where do you turn? You've already said to a financial advisor, which is awesome. But what else did you have to look at and deal with? Well, a lot of that had to do with what happened before he passed. And that was that to avoid a lot of co-mingling issues, my money was my money. And so I had my own accounts and my own bank account, my own savings account. And uh, he had the same. But did we you have also- that from the very beginning of your marriage? Yes. Okay. And how did you guys discuss that? Because this was a second marriage for you. You're an adult. He's an adult. How did you discuss the commingling of the money? I often wonder if I ever get to that point again in a relationship, how will that conversation go? Well, because we were in different industries and are paid differently, and also it's unfortunate that this is the case, but in most of the cases, this is so. And that is that still men have the higher percentage of being paid more than women. So what we did was set up so that my money, again, I had my own accounts. And so he came to me as we were coming together to set up our household. And he said, let's talk finances. And he says, I'd like to set up a joint account for us. And he says, household maintenance or the running of the day-to-day, week-to-week would be set up in this account. And if there's anything that you know, I'm unaware of that you can see that we need. And he goes, you know, we just discuss it. And we had a very open relationship where everything was based on mutual respect, mutual understanding, mutual growth. That's great. And he did state at that time that he had a will, that he had just changed it. He said that I needed a will and that he could make arrangements so that I could see an attorney and have that set up. And he also said, you know, you need to have a directive. And we discussed that. And then very organized, (laughs) very organized. And then he also said, this is, um, he says, I will have these accounts over here. And then we also had a strong box in the house 
that kept all pertinent information or documents and copies of such mm -hmm. in there, including our things like our passports and so forth. And so this was all very democratic. It was all... I have a question. Did you guys divide up expenses based on income or how did that work? No, not necessarily. There were some things that were set up like that, but for the most part, because our income differences were quite different, I'm in the arts and there was a reason why starving young artists, that was coined. And so there are good times and then there are times where it's a little lean for me. And he understood that completely. So he just wanted to make sure that financially our household was as stress-free as possible. That's nice. And yes. So, um, so he paid more of the expenses, you think? or Oh, definitely. Definitely. Right. Right. So when he passed, did you just have carry-on as usual? Was there life insurance? Was there a pretty seamless transition into your own widowed life where all the expenses were covered or were you worried about your financial future? Obviously losing 75% of a nest egg is huge and great job on building that back up. But what about every day-to-day -day stuff? Did you have to move from your home? Did you? I didn't move from my home uh, for about seven years. Okay. And as we've discussed on a previous podcast, I assumed I was just going through four to seven years of mourning, but it was more like PTSD, which as I just mentioned, as we've discussed on another podcast. So it was a really hard struggle for me to get through. And I had to be extremely mindful of what was going on around me. And so to be able to reach out to good friends that had a strong business head to mm. lean on and to ask for support during that time, as well as this um, stockbroker that was helping me was huge. Now, what he did, my late husband, yes, he left me a life insurance policy and he also closed out his accounts and put everything in our joint accounts so that there was no probate and there was no estate that could be contested should that happen. Wow. And what he also did was, and this is important for everybody to check regarding their state, but I live in the state of Oregon and in the state of Oregon, another individual cannot be responsible legally for someone else's debts. And this is huge to find out regarding your own finances because... Even a spouse, you're not on the hook for your spouse? Not in Oregon. Wow. And here's the issue is that most people don't know. They have no clue as to what is the legal boundaries regarding someone else's debt, be it an uncle, a parent, a child, a spouse. And so therefore, let's, let's use a credit card. For example, let's say there is $1,000 on a credit card. That credit card company will start contacting you within days of the death of your relative. Nice. And shame talk you. In <gasps> Are you serious? I am serious. It started three days, three days after my husband passed. We hadn't even had the funeral yet. And they were saying- and Was it due or was it just 
that they heard that he was dead through the digital grapevine. Right. They That's knew that he was horrible. It is horrible. And they hound you and hound you. Now, and are you responsible for that debt, that credit card debt? Not in Oregon. How did you find that out? An attorney or could you find that online? When I, when actually I wasn't responding to anybody, I, not even relatives because I was just in shock. So that was when we still had voicemail machines, you know, answering machines. And so I wasn't responding to anyone. And then a couple of weeks after he passed, I got a call saying we need to read the will come into this law firm. And so I did, and I mentioned that to them. And that's when I found out that they cannot come after you. They cannot demand payment. They must leave you alone. They must respect your privacy. And there are several states that this is illegal and that they cannot come after you and expect you to pay for it, Oregon being one of them. So the shame talk that I was hearing from them was that your husband, you do not want to degrade his good name. Oh my God. His debt, seriously. That's almost verbatim. Bottom feeders. That's horrible. Exactly. Exactly. So when I shared with them that I have my own credit cards that I pay on regularly and that everyone does and I'm responsible for mine and I pay mine. So those were credit cards in his name only? Yes. If they were joint, I think you would have been. Yes, that would be different. Responsible. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Well, I want to talk a little bit about day-to-day expenses because very few people keep a budget and I'm not going to lie. I'm flabbergasted at what I see people spend money on, on a regular basis when I know they're strapped. So the big $5 coffees, the snacks, the expensive meals out that happens a lot. Like literally my son was telling me that his friends eat out five nights, seven nights a week. And how do you do that in your twenties and pay for this lifestyle? And I'm so proud of him because he pays off his credit card and you know he's really trying to do the right thing financially. But we've talked about this before. The average American gets to retirement with just a pittance in their savings account and credit card debt. And of course, we're all just mimicking our country that lives on funny money and borrowed credit and all sorts of other things. So it's not surprising that this is what happens. But what I think is that people aren't very creative. And I've talked about this before. I'm a silver spoon hillbilly because I was raised in a wealthy environment, but we were taught to never spend the money and to not splurge. So I grew up with a very conservative view of money and the thought of going to Starbucks every day. I love Starbucks, but It just isn't something in my DNA, but the younger set, the millennials, and even people my age, I see just spending the smaller amounts on a real regular basis. It's like it just flows through them. And every, you know, new item that you pick up at a store because you just got to have it, the 
few extra items you throw in your grocery cart because they're splurge items or you want to try something new and then it just sits in your cupboard. Just like in your closet, how many pieces of clothing do you have with the tags on? How many unopened items do you have in your pantry of expensive food? And supplements is another huge one. I'm guilty of it. You know, you get excited about something and you buy a $30 supplement and then it just sits there. And when you really break it down, if it's a $30 supplement and it's a one month supply, you've just added a dollar a day to your lifestyle. I, there's probably an app that helps you figure this out. Like everything that you consume, how much is it adding on? And then you take rent and how much are you paying a day for rent? And how much are you paying a day for your car? And I tend to look at things almost daily because I travel so much. I tend to look at things in terms of daily rates. So a hotel room or a car and whatnot. And then you extrapolate that and you realize, oh, I'm paying that for my house, apartment, car, Uber. Any advice on that? Like, how do you watch your budget? Because then we all want to layer in things like Botox, guys and girls, you know, the splurges, the travel. How do you budget? Well, I know my standard monthly income and I know my standard monthly outgo. And so <laughs> if you break those words down, it's really interesting. So it comes in and it, it goes, goes out. out. Yeah, that's a great. And so if the yeah. income is at this level and your outgo is at this level, we got a problem. And so even if it's here, we have a problem because life happens. And so you need to have it like here to be able to deal with life issues, have a little bit to sock away, and then still have enough to enjoy life a little bit. And I've got friends that do happy hour five times a week. Now, that doesn't mean a glass of wine and that's it. No, no. That means usually a couple of drinks. It means a couple of appetizers mm -hmm. five times. Now, if you've gone into any decent establishments lately, you know that drinks have gone up to, on the average, if it's a mixed drink, around 12 bucks a pop. That's true. They are expensive. 12 yeah. is like the opening price now in LA for a mixed drink. It's the average. Well, but a 10 is, I would say 10 to 12 is the average in, in the Portland area. But there are drinks that I've also had that are $18 and it's just, you know. Wow. Yeah. So, and then of course, then you've got either bar food or you've got higher end appetizers that you're bringing in. And, you know, you might even want to feel good about saying, oh, you know, I'm watching my weight. I'm going to get this heirloom beet salad. Well, the heirloom beet salad may cost you $22. And that may be healthy for the body mass, but is it healthy financially for you? Right. And so it depends if it's just once a month and you can handle that once a week and you can handle that. But if you're, if you're sweating, trying to make your rent or your mortgage payment or your car payment or your phone or whatever, then 
something's got to go, something's got to give. And, and so you need a healthy balance. Again, we're using the word healthy in all of this. Yeah. And it's a new trend in happy hour too. I don't know if you've noticed this is that they advertise it, but then when you get there, there's only a few items on the drink menu and it's like a house crappy wine, a well crappy hard liquor and maybe a few high carb deep fried appetizers. So, you know, there's happy hour and then there's happy hour and not many people have great happy hours anymore. And you end up ordering other things, like you said, that may not be on the happy hour menu. And then you're right back in and it's the cost of a dinner. I agree that, you know, going out again and again and again is it adds up. And at a point in my first marriage, this is a long time ago, decades, but we literally had $100 a month to go out. And we were extremely stressed over money. And we were both grad students, duh. And $100 a month was it. And yet we enjoyed it. And we made it a point to do something special with it. So if people are going out to happy hour that much, you know, that's, first of all, a lot of calories. And that's a lot of money. And there's a lot of other things that you can do with your friends that don't involve eating and drinking, like I said in other podcasts. And it does add up. You know, it could be, even if it's just $100 a week, let's just say you go out and you spend $25, $30 a few times a week. That's a lot. You know, $400 a month you could put away, you could do something else with it. But I think the, the point that we're making is that as a, group of people, we are kind of conditioned to spend everything we make and more and not put aside the money for the rainy day. In the case of a 401k, because I offer it to my employees, there's a kind of a tipping point at 3% that you put away of your annual income. There's really very little impact to your check, a few bucks. That's the tipping point with the taxes. So what we do is we match and we, if you put away 3%, we put away one and a half percent for you. And that's a very common formula in the industry. But if you start doing that as an employee, and that's something to look at when you're getting a job, does your employer offer that opportunity to you? Because once you're in the 401k system, even if you leave that employer, you can take your money with you and transfer it around in these tax-free venues. And you can often take the match money too, depending on a vesting schedule. So it's literally money that you're not going to feel the impact per se, and you get free money with it. But I'll tell you, trying to convince people to do this is Herculean. I mean, it just, they don't get it and they don't see the value. And I don't know where the disconnect is. It is the rare young person today that understands the value of savings. We have the boomers who are 65 and over, and they generally have their craft together. You know, a lot of them have saved, a lot of them have been responsible with money, they haven't gotten too far into debt, but there's this huge group of people that have no savings, have no plan for their future, and they don't have the rainy day plan even. So give me more advice. Like, what do you see in your friends where they could cut back? Like, for example, I apologize. I asked you a question and then I'm going to tell a story. But I did the calculation with previous relationship on coffee. 
I was fascinated because he went to Starbucks every day and he was not doing well financially to the point that that should be a daily occurrence. And I think he went a couple times a day and got coffee. So what is that? Four or five bucks a day. So I just wanted to understand the dollars and cents. So I calculated it from ground bean point of view versus going to Starbucks. And it was outrageous. It was outrageous, like 20 times the cost to go to a coffee shop and get that cup of coffee versus making it yourself. Now that to me, because of my DNA and the way I was brought up, I'll never be able to overlook that. That's just part of me. But there's probably other things that I could blow money on that people could call me on. So what do you see as, so coffee to me, because I love coffee so much, and I'll probably do a whole segment on coffee because I've got a really cool new creamer that I've come up with, with a little help from some friends, some coconut and calcium, and it's really cool, turmeric, ginger. But what else do you see your friends splurging on? Happy hour is a a great one. And like I said, happy hour isn't necessarily happy hour. (laughs) All right. So I have have a friend that wanted to buy a house badly and wanted a really good stereo system and couldn't afford either one. This was a male. He was driving a brand new Trans Am. And he was also a very heavy chain smoker and drinker. And a super nice guy, but very addictive type personality. And he was, he was over one day and he was grousing about his issues and how he wanted all of this and that and so forth. But there was no way. And so I asked him if he knew how much he spent on cigarettes a month. And he was clueless. He never thought about it. I said, how much do you spend on alcohol? He didn't know. Hmm. So I said, why don't you start there? Get a piece of paper. And every time you go to the store and buy one of those, that amount goes on the list. At the end of the month, tally it up. That should give you an idea. Well, I would add to that a lot of other substances and things. So coffee and beauty products and supplements. I mean, that's a really good point. And habits, you know, like your pastimes. People Mm -hmm. don't think about how quickly it adds up. So what happened with him? He wasn't by that? He was shocked. He was shocked at the amount at the end of the month. It was staggering to him. He cut back. It was very, very difficult because he was borderline alcoholic and, like I said, a chain smoker. But he cut back. Okay, great. Big applause because it's just going to help your health. But he was able to, first of all, get that stereo system that he wanted so bad, that sound system, and he loved it. And then Within about seven, eight months, he had enough of a down payment to buy a small house. And it was awareness. He was absolutely not aware of where the money was going. And I'm a big list maker. I've always been a big list maker. In fact, for me, I make a list of just the day-to-day things I need to get done. And for me, it's validation at the end of the day when I can look at that list and go check, check, Mm -hmm. I feel like I've accomplished a lot. Whereas at the end of the day, so many people go, oh, I got nothing done. Well, you probably got quite a bit done. But 
I needed the validation and that's how I deal with it. So regarding the income and the outgo, I know exactly how much within a marginal, maybe not even $100, how much my outgo is month to month. And you I also post everything on credit cards and then balance them no. at the end of the month. Or are you a no. check and cash girl, debit card? What do you do? Um, I rarely use cash anymore. I rarely have cash, but I do use a debit card uh, for almost everything. I also do checks when it comes to bills because I don't like paying them online. I've been hacked before and that was pretty scary unto itself whole nother story. And then I keep track also of the debit. So I always ask for a receipt when I use my debit card, just because I don't want to forget. And then in checking also with the bank, yes, I can check with that. And you've also got your statements and blah, blah, blah. But it's just, it's another method for me to double check everything. So I've got this system. It's something that's worked for me over the decades. And Do you use QuickBooks or... No. A money program that's all done by hand still? Yes. Yes. So do you give yourself some mad money and do you save a certain amount from your paycheck? I do have a certain amount that goes into savings. And I also have that overflow is there for the unexpected things. And also the things that are larger amount that come about. I know when they're due. For example, I'm a homeowner, so I've got property taxes. And in the state of Oregon, property taxes are fairly high, certainly not as high as they are in California. So for me, it takes me three months to save up that amount. And hopefully during that three-month period of time, nothing catastrophic will happen. So that's kind of how that works. And then there's also homeowner's insurance and car insurance. And so they come at different parts of the year and I know when they're coming up. And so there's money set aside to cover that. And then the rest of it goes into either a savings or the day-to-day maintenance of things, you know, your cars and that type of thing. Yeah. It's stressful to pull this all together and then you have to deal with at the same time, not just these issues of our personal finances, but health insurance, jobs, careers, maybe winding down, slowing down. And as I've said before, numerous times, we cannot count on the government. We have to have our own set of income and ability to continue to make an income well beyond standard retirement age because we live so much longer and all I see is expenses increasing. You know, the the amount, the pace of I don't know what inflation rate is, but I know when I go to the store and I look at prices, whether it's ten cents or a dollar or three dollars, things have gone up. Everything is more expensive. Utilities, insurance, you name it. And so just leaving it to chance that you're going to be able to afford everything at the end of the month, I think is playing Russian roulette. So a lot of people don't look at this because they don't want to see what they're going to find. (laughs) That's very common. One of the biggest mistakes I've ever seen people make is 
to start to pay the minimum balance on credit cards. Right. And on my credit cards that I get, now almost everything I do is on Amex, so you don't have that option, but I do have another pay over time card. And every month I get a bill and it tells me if you pay the minimum balance, you will have it paid off by 2050 and you will pay off this amount. Like it's very bold and in your face that that's a really bad financial decision to take that on to pay forever. And that's just at the current bill. That doesn't include what gets piled on every month in terms of new purchases and penalties and interest. So I am very uncomfortable with anyone paying those minimum balances for their financial future because you get in over your head and upside down in the credit card cycle, like within a matter of months, and then you're buried and you're going, oh no, everything's going up every month, but I'm getting no more benefit. Often Mm -hmm. the stuff that you purchase is either broken, gone, you don't like it and didn't return it because you're still paying on it. Anyways, so credit cards are so dicey, but they're so common. My son, who just graduated from college a couple of years ago, and he has a credit card, gets five solicitations a week, you know, mm-hmm. and they're just ruthless. They give you zero interest. They give you cash advances. And just as they are uh, going after you as a, a new widow, they're going after these kids to get them in the cycle of spending beyond their means. I actually, this might be a bit of advice for our younger listeners and their younger children. I gave both my teens credit cards when they were younger in my name with their name on it. Alaska Airlines, if anyone cares, allowed me to do that. And they built up their credit while under my supervision. Now, I was very careful with what I allowed them to do, but at least it got them into that cycle. But part of that was teaching them how you use a credit card. Now, for me, it's a tracking device. Like literally, it helps me keep track of my expenses. I don't use cash and I do pay everything online. I don't even have checks for most of my accounts anymore. I find that tends to be a generational divide. Even my children now want me to Venmo them money. (laughs) They're all on Venmo. And I don't know hardly anybody over 60 on Venmo. It's just, you know, things change with the years. But be very careful of those credit cards. What else, Cindy? Any more advice? Yes. For many women, and most of them are our generation, they have gotten locked into commingling when their marriage was first set up. And so there's the my money, your money thing. But then if there's a commingling where it goes into one main account and the financial person of that household happens to be your spouse and he decides, well, I'm going to be monitoring your money and I will put it into this account over here. And then the woman wants the money and the man says, well, it's my money because I've been managing it and so forth. And you're coming into your 
golden years, if you want to call it that. And then there are concerns about his health and your longevity. And where is that money? How do you get access to it? And so these are things that I think women just need to be more savvy about, more protective of, and being able to have access to it at all times and not taken away. You 100% need access to your money. One piece of advice that I followed and I would encourage others to follow is if you get an inheritance of any size, put it into your own account. Don't co-mingle that. A lot of people gift money every year because they need to spend down their estates. There is actually people that have to do that or want to do that other than the opposite, which is you get to the end and you have nothing. But if you are lucky enough to be in that situation where you are being gifted money on a regular basis or even one time, put that into your own account and don't let that get commingled. At least in the state where I got divorced, which was Oregon, that was allowed to be kept on my balance sheet and not split in terms of other assets. It actually gets carved out as not part of the estate that gets divided. So both of my marriages, we commingled. Now, my last marriage ended nine years ago. So I haven't been married in really much more of what I would call the modern age. So next time, I think we'll do something, whoever it is, we'll do something very similar to what you did. Each person has their own. And if you commingle, it's with a very clear agreed upon plan. But most women my age and older, mid fifties and older have commingled. It just was done. Just like yes. we didn't wear white before Memorial Day, you know, it, you it was done. Didn't have your own account. It was probably shameful and like radical 60 years ago, 50 years ago to have your own account. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to believe how recently women couldn't vote. So think about the strides that we have made in our uh, lives as women. But in this regard, financial health, what you just described is a manipulative partner told someone to let them manage their money, basically. They put it into, it sounds like a commingled account, right? And then after that went into a private account. Of oh, theirs. he moved it out of the commingled into a private unbeknownst to her. Yeah, I've had that happen in a marriage and I was floored that it could happen, that yeah. something could be taken out of a joint account and put into a personal account. Happened to me, it was a lot of money. It was my nest egg and it got taken out. It got put back eventually, but it had to involve lawyers and everything and the bank and boy, it was a big deal. So for women that have co-mingled everything. And there's a lot of women that don't even have their own careers. Let's just take the example of a homemaker. So she's probably older right now, hasn't worked outside the home. Husband may or may not be still alive, but let's, oh, I'm sorry, let's pretend like the husband's still alive. But all of the funds have come from him. They're co-joined or maybe some women, it's not my experience, but some women may not even have a, an account in their name and may all be in their 
partner's name, their husband's name, the credit card, the checkbook, the savings, et cetera, the house, the cars. Really, that's a good place to start, no matter your age. Do an inventory of what's what, which end is up, who's got the name on the title to the car, to the house, whose name is on, do you have life insurance? How much is it for? Who's it going to? Those are all inventory items that you can take before you do a will. Really important. I think the hardest part, Cindy, is that these are uncomfortable topics. Money is the number one cause of divorce in first marriages, I've heard. And then Mm -hmm. children is the number one reason in second marriages, children conflict. But money conflict is supposedly, I read this a while ago, it may not still be true, but the point is well taken. Money is contentious. People would rather send a selfie that's naked before they want to (laughs) talk about finances. You know, people are so freaking uncomfortable with money in this country, and yet they spend it like a wild banshee. Yes. Mm -hmm. Come on, how can, or they say they hate money. I love all these counterculture people that hate money, that are wearing designer, you know, fake leather, and they're hipsters and they don't work. Well, somebody funds that. How can you hate money? Money is what makes this world transact. I'm not going to say it makes the world go around, but I've been around people that don't have money and it's not fun. It's not pleasant. Their lives are more difficult. So getting control of this and addressing some of these issues, I will tell you some warning signs about your partner and money, if you happen to be in that situation where you don't have any transparency into your finances and you don't have insight and you have a partner that won't have a frank discussion with you, that's a warning sign. That's a problem. And it probably is more indicative of other problems in the relationship. But you owe it to yourself to learn because that person, as you have experienced, Cindy, could be gone. In a heartbeat, in an instant, they're no longer there for whatever reason. And there's tax implications to having things commingled. There's probate and other issues. And then there's just your comfort. So sitting down and saying, you know, sweetie, honey, whatever you want to call them, I need some insight into the following and make a list. House, cars, insurance, investments. Social security, what does he get if he's getting it? Because that's going to become yours, as I understand it. How much is the mortgage? If you don't know those things, it can be a rude awakening. Right, right. And I think really most women do, but I think also over a certain age where it was the age or the stage of the housewife that you're talking about, where they raised the children, and took care of the home. And they're the ones that didn't have a lot of the background that we're talking about and the experience that we're talking about. And I do have a neighbor, I'm going to guess that she's probably somewhere in her mid to late 80s. And she's a widow. She's on a very restricted income, limited income. and has no money at all to spend on anything extra. Mm -hmm. And for her, as food and bills are rising, the issue is 
going to come to a point where what can I afford this month? Can I afford my medication or can I afford my food? Well, can I interrupt for one second? I know I always do, but as a former physician, I encourage people to do a medication inventory because there are so many medications that you do not have to take anymore that aren't doing anything for you that you can just cut down and save yourself some money. So talk to your doctor and go through the entire list. It's not uncommon. I used to be an internist and it's not uncommon to see patients on 15 to 20 medications every single day. Imagine the management of that, but also imagine the cost. I mean, it is so crazy that we need to just take an assessment. One of my neighbors in Oregon, where I live there, is a couple in their 80s. The man is extremely controlling, has completely got his wife under his thumb, and he went in for a routine medical procedure and had a stroke. And she was left completely caught off guard, devastated, didn't know how to take care of anything. They don't have children in the area. And watching this go down was so painful to realize, but it was a conditioning situation where she was really kept down for this marriage. But she didn't get any wake-up call to learn about her financial health, and even where to begin with the household. She had done the typical, like I said, she's mid-80s, but she's spry, she's intelligent, but devastated. So Mm -hmm. the basic reason why we're even mentioning this is it's with them. What's in it for me? So this is for you, so that you have an easier time of it you have a better life when and if the inevitable happens. You know, having that safety net, getting educated. Education that you need to get is really for yourself, by yourself. What do you think about like a meetup, the meetup concept for finances? Is that a way, uh, where could people go to learn more about investing or basic budgeting and financing? Do you have any thoughts? Okay, there, there are several pamphlets that go out in the mail with financial companies that want your money. They want your business to manage. And if you go to one of those, I think it's very beneficial to go with a piece of paper and a pen and jot down the information. Don't sign anything. Just start to train yourself, learn, read about it. Yes, there are meetups. There was a very uh, well-circulated story of a group of elderly women. This would have been about 15 years ago, I'm going to guess. And uh, there was a group of them, five or six of them, and they were all elderly, all widowed, or I think probably widowed at the time. But they got together through a meetup and formed, it was all similar to a book club, but this was about finances. And they came together not knowing each other beforehand and discussed their financial issues. And then they started to share the knowledge. And 
when one would go out and talk to uh, someone about the finances and then another one over here would read something and so forth, they would come together at the next meeting and share this. Well, through their gained knowledge, they decided to take a very small percentage that each one of them had that they felt they could play with in the market. And they used this as a stepping stone to what ended up turning out to be them over the years bringing in several hundreds of thousands of dollars in income. And they became just really astute at what they were doing and watching the stock market closely and paying attention and diversifying themselves and not being overly liberal, but not being super conservative either. Just being very mindful of their money. And And if this is something they did, and if this is something that they can do, this is something that anyone else can do also. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, I think this is a fantastic episode. Uh, Some great tips. Thank you so much for joining us, Cindy, and sharing your experience, which is extraordinary, but weathering it with grace and, you know, still being afloat. But I think it goes without saying that you're in your late 60s and you are still working and you're still a career girl and life is not over yet and you're not old yet. And that's really what we're exploring here on this show. Each time that we talk, we want to break down both what makes us look and feel and experience age, but also how to live your best life and how to overcome some of these things that can really set us back. So thank you for joining us. Thanks, Cindy. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for checking in. Please go to notoldyetglobal.com and hit that subscribe button and leave us a review on your favorite platform. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.